Welcome to Comically Confused, a New 52 podcast. We're covering the entire New 52 one book at a time. I'm your host, Grant. And I'm your host, Nate. And Nate, what book are we covering this week? At Woman Volume 1 Hydrology. Yeah, uh, so I know we always start off with our uh, kind of opening thoughts on this, but I think these are going to be a little more uh, kind of confused or controversial than normal since, <laughs> I mean, while you call it Volume 1 Hydrology, this is not a Volume 1, I think, as you Not at it. all. Yeah, this... Uh, definitely like, not. I'll kind of say up front that I like this book, but like it's actually more of a continuation on a previous uh, a book prior to the new fifty two called the Batwoman Elegy. Uh, friend of the show, Kyle, our former guest host, they actually recommended I read that before getting into this. And, and I'm happy, I'm happy they did. Yeah, that really saved us here because uh, yeah, thankfully I had some extra reading time, got that in, and. I would have been very lost here without this. And I imagine any new readers to the character come the new 52 probably felt the same. Cause despite this book's best efforts, like there's just so much to the character explained in that book that this picks up right away off of that. You're really just going to be lost if you haven't read that book. Yeah. It, like if we didn't figure this out beforehand, I it would have felt like the same category of like, why we're we not covering green lantern for like a couple years just because like this is not a new start for the character of Batwoman, similar to Green Lantern. This is a continuing of pre new fifty two of Batwoman. Which makes sense because Batwoman is like her like previous run was only a year before this whole relaunch even started. Yeah, there's like I don't I'm not mad about this by any means because yeah, there's only about like eight to 10 issues of Batwoman content prior to this. Uh, like Compared had, to like uh, five years worth of Green Lantern content. Yeah. So, I mean, rebooting after having such a little content would feel weird and it would kind of leave us uh, kind of like the original Flash Rebirth where you have something with all these cool ideas and cool buildup that just disappears from the reboot. So, uh, it's weird, especially in the context of the new 52, but yeah, I'm kind of glad they did it. Yeah, I mean could have been nice to have like an editor's note at the start of issue yeah. one saying check out this comic to not understand any of this or like a marvel recap page yeah but before we dive too far into the continuity here we've got our kind of usual business to address so uh nate what's your history with the character of batwoman okay so i know like the this is uh it's original batwoman and a different character from this i forgot the original og batwoman name I think it's like similar to this Cassandra or something, but I don't know for right at the top of my head. But that character was literally made just because people thought Batman and Robin was gay. So they made uh, oh, yeah. Batwoman and Batgirl so like people wouldn't think they're gay. And which like when I was typing this out like on my nose, I felt like I figured out how like ironic it was that uh Kate is gay. And I probably probably was like a play on that. <laughs> yeah, but, um, and for those unfamiliar with comic history i want to flesh out there that like we're not talking about 90s kids calling everything gay no we mean like in the 50s like the psychologist frederick wortham was talking about how evil comic books were and one of his actual points was that batman and robin resembled a homosexual relationship so yeah they invented the original batwoman uh kathy kane i just looked up and uh the original batgirl who is not barbara gordon uh so yeah that's literally what they were made for was no homo the characters yeah uh but like this uh kate kane the character i think i first seen her in like uh i I, no, as a comic fan i knew it was a bad woman but i didn't really know her until i went back and read like uh 52 which was uh 
when she was created for. And that was just like a, a gimmick DC had at the time because they had an event called like One Year Forward and they had like another, they had this weekly series that went for like 52 weeks. And like that's her Batwoman first appearance. And she appeared in there. And then I went, then I read uh, James Tinian, the fourth uh, Detective Comics run where she's like a big player in. Then I went back and read her like uh, Batman, uh, Batwoman eulogy. I'm fairly familiar with the character of Batwoman for uh, reading this, even though I haven't read this arc before and how big of a character is she in 52 because i've not gotten around to that yet and i was curious like how much of that is dedicated to her or how much of a presence she was she has she has a couple of uh because there's a lot of comic so she doesn't have like the main spotlight the main spotlight like booster gold but i mean 52 was like a book about like the b the b and below characters so it was about like characters like adam strange and animal man and like so she had some she had some um time, but a lot of her time was with like a question. Uh the female question. Okay, yeah, and I know actually in Batwoman Elegy that first volume, if you read it on DC Universe, that has a lot of backups of that question. So yeah, those characters are very tied together. Uh both in story wise and you know, romantic interests since their alter egos dated. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm decently familiar with uh Kate. Uh came for um in like DC. She cause she appears in like other than her own book, she appears in like some Batman event, but she's like the outskirts of the Bat family. So she's in the period like uh, most events. I don't even think she has like a tie in the Bat events in this book compared to like the rest of the Bat family. For me, I don't have a ton of exposure with the character. Uh, just enough to know she's a like pretty strong female character in the Bat family. That she's a soldier that was kind of kicked out over uh, under don't ask don't tell that she's a lesbian character uh but yeah i've never read any of her specific comics i just saw her pop up in various batman comics uh, i think the most i saw her was actually that animated movie uh batman bad blood that features a lot oh, of the characters. yeah the like, one that's the taylor swift song <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did come out around the song yeah uh, but yeah, and I like Batwing and Nightwing and yeah, Batwoman. So just very much a highlight of some of these B-list uh, Bat characters that deserve some spotlight. Yeah, she's definitely like, she's not going to appear in like any like Batman event. She's like reserved to people who want to use the character, which I kind of like because, you know, it's so many Bat family members. And I feel like Batwoman has like her own little niche outside of like being like Bruce's circle, media circle. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was really glad to get to spend some more time and learn more about the character because previous to this, she was basically like lesbian Nightwing and that she's like a really cool character in the Bat family that just has never gotten their due because they can't risk upstaging Batman. And I think there's still yeah. a little truth to that belief, but I, I now see like, oh yeah, there's much more going on here she, that differentiates her from she other has, She has like a devoted fan base. I think her new 52 run uh, that we're reviewing today lasted like... 40 issues and then she had like a rebirth run that lasts some time and you know mm. i feel like yeah she's like a moderate family she's not like any i don't think she's like top five of the bad family but like she has like her own fan base because uh like she she has her own little niche in gotham that i can't say mm. for like other bad family members like like duke or like other characters mm-hmm. yeah and no, uh, i'm glad to see that she there is a lot of controversy relating to the series that we'll touch on in future volumes as those controversies become more relevant, but uh, I'm glad she at least got a semi-decently 
size series, which is not the case for all of the Bat Family. And I'm really glad that she got her due here. Yes. But yeah, moving on to our creative team here, uh, we've got co-writers of W. Hayden Blackman and J.H. Williams, uh, who was both co-writer and artist this series. Now, are you familiar with either of these two, Nate? I know J.H. Williams just because he wrote the he was the artist of the previous Batwoman run. That's why that's the only reason that only reason I know him. Uh, I don't know Hayden much though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too surprised on. Yeah, I'm not too surprised you haven't heard of uh, W. Hayden Blackman because as I did some research on him, I found his comics work is really minimal. Like, this is his only DC work, his only Marvel works, like uh, an Electra series and a Shang-Chi series. So, not the type of stuff I'm usually around. But uh, Mm -hmm. he's still a very successful writer in other areas. Uh, If you remember the Star Wars Force Force Unleashed video games with like the Darth Vader protege, he both wrote and directed both of those games. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah, and I believe it's the same for the game Mafia 3, which also has a pretty solid fan base. I know that was received very well. So that's not something I've seen before in comics is that the writer is getting pulled from the video game industry. Yeah. It's usually like, usually for like comic writers, mostly coming from a, like TV or film, but like he wrote, if he wrote like star Wars, uh, unleashed, like that has like one, like the most devoted fan base for any like star Wars thing. That's not in, like the new continuity, you know? Yeah. And he's not really even love that. He's not alone there and being behind beloved, content that's no longer canon so force unleashed is the huge (laughs) one he and he's used to this before the disney takeover because he was also the writer on the uh star wars clone wars comic books that predate the animated series and really yeah those i believe have a pretty devoted following i haven't read them myself but there's a lot of them and i know people did it take place before uh the cgi show or like before like the, the first animated show so it came out after the first animated show, the one with the okay. Tarakovsky that looks like Samurai Andy. Jack and is kind of, it's very in that vein, kind of takes that style and tone. Some of the comics even take that art style too, not all of them. Uh, and from what I've read just from fans online, because there's not a ton to find about those comics, uh, generally I see people say they're a lot darker and many of them prefer them over the animated series. It just sadly oh, isn't really? canon. It kind of got, the cartoon show that millions of kids were watching got priority as far as canon goes. And, you know, if you're a comic fan that likes stuff that, like, came from, came from like, another media, we're just used to that at this point, that comics are not respected in, like, main continuity. If it's not a comic, it came from a comic. Yeah, I think that's why I'm so much less upset about the whole Star Wars rewrite with the Disney purchase. Like, ah, DC's done it, like, six times. I, I, I know how this goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, uh, our other writer and artist here, J.H. Williams. As you mentioned, he's got experience with the character. He worked with Greg Rucka on the pre-New 52 Batwoman series, so he's returning to this. Uh, I hadn't really heard of him outside of Batwoman, but as I did research, I found out he's one of the most talented people in comics that doesn't have kind of that rock star name like a Jim Lee or a Todd McFarlane does, Uh, because he's worked with every major force into the industry on just kind of their lesser known books. He worked with Alan Moore himself on Promethea, which uh, my good friend that works at the comic shop, they love that book. 
Uh, and I kind of asked if the art style was similar and there are certain veins that, yeah, very much cross over. He worked with Grant Morrison on seven soldiers. He worked with Neil Gaiman on, uh, one of the follow-ups to Sandman, Sandman Overture. And he, okay. Yeah. He's won a lot of awards for like best cover and best comic art, uh, several times just looking through his Wikipedia page. So while he isn't that established name that comic readers know the people who matter in the industry know who this guy is and they trust him with their work. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to see Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore know to reach out to this guy for their work. Yeah. It seems like he's been doing like the, the really like, uh, I like to call it like Oscar worthy comics. So he's not like doing like the, the big characters, like a Spider-Man or a Batman, but he's like doing like the, the ones, the books that get, like one awards, which is nice. And I can definitely see elements of that here. Like his art style is very unique. It does kind of remind me of like the covers of Sandman. So I'm not surprised he got picked up for that. Uh, just like, you'll notice that like certain characters will be drawn in a completely different style than others. And the way he works with page and panel layouts is unique to anything else I've seen doing this podcast so far, or even most of my comic reading experience as we go. His art style feels like really indie. Like it doesn't like like I know DC doesn't have like a house style or anything anymore. But like it, it's book. This book feels like an indie comic that you're fill, find in like Image. I know it's like a panel that really like struck me as like looking really like nice, like an off candy type of way. It was like a panel with like a Batwoman came back to her apartment and she was like all wet and like she looked kind of like he was painted. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, she often looks painted throughout this book. And, like, yeah. I think it's meant to be a strong contrast to whatever else is going on. Like, in one of the first issues, we even see her fighting some goons or henchmen. And the henchmen look like they're from an old comic, like a 70s Batman comic. Yes. While Batwoman looks like a real painted person. Like, you have this Alex Ross character in there with all these classic cartoon guys. And you don't really see that a lot when it's not, like, the same uh, artist. Like, you don't really see, like, a curative artistic change in style that often in like mainline comics like Marvel and DC. It's now, really nice. One thing that I want to point out about his art style that really threw us both off was um they we had talked and I know you noticed how a lot of these books in the series only had like 10 to 13 pages or 15 pages per issue, which is like half of what you normally expect. Yeah, yeah, that like really caught me out of guard. I I actually counted how many like actual like not counting like the filler page at the end it was only like 86 uh 86 total uh pages of actual comic in the volume and like comparing that to shazam which started as like backups that was like even like i was 156 and we thought that was short so this book is like definitely like less than 100 pages yeah, so it's yeah, it threw me off at first. I was wondering if there was like some weird backup that wasn't being included here, or if this was like some free comic book stuff since there's weird zero issue things going on. But eventually, rereading it, it clicked. The reason these are so short, reading it on DC Universe, is J.H. Williams does an excessive use of two page spreads. Like issue two, for instance, of the 14 pages listed, only four of them are single pages. So DC Universe oh. only counts a two-page spread as a single page, but if you were reading this as a regular comic book, that's two full pages. Okay, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense now. Like, my complaint is, like, they're out the window for the most part, because, like, yeah, I was just looking at, like, the actual, like, page, not, like, if it was, like, a full, 
uh, full page. So, like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, and it, nice really, catch. It, it made me sympathize with the physical readers this time around because personally, I don't like lots of two page spreads in comics just as often the way they're printed like important stuff is in the fold of the book so this is <laughs> one of those things that i think digital reading actually is the better experience and one of the few times that's actually the case one of the, like that's like one of the only things that's a benefit instead of having like the actual book in your hand is that like i can see full page spreads how it's meant to be seen and not in the crease of the book so, but yeah, overall, yeah, with J.H. Williams the second, and yeah, just some of the cool creative chops behind Blackman, uh, I really liked the research element of this book. A lot of times I'm just finding, like, what dregs or obscure things writers worked on, but I enjoyed the research of these two people. I found them both to be way more interesting than our typical creative team. Yeah, and I felt like I had a lot of fun just researching this book as a whole, because there's a couple other things that we're going to touch on later, how, like, this book doesn't really feel like a new 52 book I'm going to touch on later, but it, it's, it's a lot that like make me wonder like the inner work in DC when it came to this book and why it's yeah. so different. Yeah. And we see that pretty much right away with this book because I think it's the only new 52 book that starts with an issue zero rather than an issue yes. one. Uh, so Which I mean, is confusing. Right yeah, very confusing, especially since there's another issue zero in this run. Uh, it gets another one like 12, 13 issues in when everyone else was getting one. So, yeah, yeah if you look through, there's two Batwoman issue zeros in the exact same comic run. Um, you know, I, you know, let's talk about it now. I feel like this issue zero is like just retroactively became a new 52 book. Because if you even check on like the site, like the heading of this book doesn't say new 52. It just says Batman, uh, Batwoman zero. Yeah, the really that issue zero is the only hint that this takes place in the new fifty two because it's seeming like Batman doesn't know who Batwoman is. He's still studying the character. Uh, where previously, like the two had kind of worked together, they run into each other in Batman Elegy, and she was around for Battle for the Cowl, I think. So, you know, she was an established character. I, you know, I don't think I'm not sure that was Bruce in those books. I'm pretty sure that was uh, Dick Batman in the previous books. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. So Bruce wouldn't have been around. Huh. Yeah, I actually not need to revisit that because that was actually the big part. Uh, she took over Detective Comics in her initial run with Batwoman Elegy. That wasn't in a separate Batman title or Batwoman title. That was Detective Comics, which is normally dedicated to Batman. But that was actually when Batman died. That was kind of following the events of Final Crisis and Batman R.I.P. She got the Detective Comics title for about a year. Yeah, just like in the... In the Batwoman elegy, it doesn't like to say like this is not Bruce Wayne, this is Dick Grayson because he doesn't really have like that big of a spotlight. But, like I'm pretty sure that was like Dick Grayson, especially in like Battle of the Cow. Like Batman was dead at that point. Yeah, so that actually does make a little more sense then because all of issue zero is really Batman tailing Batwoman, trying to piece together like I think this lady's Kate Kane, uh, and you see him kind of deduce that and analyze her fighting style, and you get hints about what happened in her previous comics. Not a full-on explanation really, but just enough to give you enough to follow the story a little bit or understand something happened between this character and her dad. Uh, but yeah, it's by no means yeah. something that'll replace reading. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't replace like not reading the previous stuff at all. 
But yeah, issue zero aside, then, uh, like, I don't want to count that as our first issue since uh, normally we use that to see, like, how does this reflect the rest of the series? And that one, frankly, doesn't because Batman is the main character of it. And it's yeah, just. It's- it's just interesting to note, just because, like, I this book, I mean, it probably was, like, they were making a Batwoman book before they had the idea of, like, uh, A52, so this was already in development, and they said, uh, might as well just put it, because this in, like, issue one came out, uh, like, a whole year, like, over a year apart. I didn't really look at the publication date, but, yeah, that checks out, yeah, over a, uh, almost a year apart. So, huh. That does make the flow make a little more sense, and also just the use of a zero issue. Uh, since yeah, this yeah, the zero issue doesn't have the new fifty two logo. That checks out. Yeah, and you know it's it's some references to like the previous continuity, and like that doesn't happen. So yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they just had a Batwoman book in development already, and they were like, uh, "Might as well. We're not gonna waste this money. We might as well just put it out, even if we're rebooting." It's like at the end, even say like stuff for uh the ghost villain in like the end of the book. Yeah, they do have the previews there too. And I'm looking at the publication date, seeing zero issue zero was November 2010. Yeah, that predates Justice League number one because the new 52 came out in 2011. So yeah, your theory checks yeah, out. September, September, it was like September of 2011 when uh, the book actually came out. Issue one for new 52. But now, as far as our actual number one, issue number one here, following the character and just kind of s- seeing what's going on in her life, like her training Flamebird, her interactions with Detective Maggie Sawyer, and like finding the villain of the series, uh, how do you feel that issue one reflects the rest of the book, or at least the rest of the volume? Um, it does stand in place that that if you don't have... This, this issue one is not meant to hook you into the story of Batwoman. That's like my major fault with this because it just feels like attenuation. It just feels like uh, issue seven. Like we're trying to set the groundwork for another plot that because we already had like the beginning of a story, you know, it feels yeah. like a start of volume two. Yeah, it really not only that, it feels like a middle volume specifically because like it's mm-hmm. picking up where another story left off and it's building up to things that are coming down the line. Because major- I mean, um, at the end of Bat- Batwoman Elegy, the whole the last page was a. Uh, her saying like her like taking in flame bird and this how the book start not how it start but like this how like it continue on like page seven with that plot point which is kind of another thing here is batwoman gets something of an introduction with issue zero but flame bird now nah, this is her first appearance in the new 52 her existence is kind of weird when you take in the timeline uh yeah she doesn't I mean, get any kind of intro because like flame bird has like a long a nice long history in pre new 52 like she was part of like the teen titans west coach she dated like beast boy uh her origins was like being a super big fan of like nightwing and like i don't know anything about this flame bird in this yeah and i think we'll get into that a little more when we're discussing like where this fits in continuity but i, I have to admit the first issue the flaws listed there do make it kind of an accurate representation of the rest of the volume since uh, those are kind of my complaints with this volume in general of like eh, it's not a new start uh just kind of feels like it's taking place in the middle it feels like a volume two so it's true for both the first issue and the first volume altogether yeah uh like issue one and the rest of the volume feels like a setup volume and not like a beginning volume it feels like a volume two it, it does kind of work as a potential pilot like a spin-off pilot of a series like i, I could see this working if 
don't know. It all just feels like the first episode of a show, really. Just how it introduces the characters and where it leaves off without resolving any of the real issues, just the kind of temporary this day issues. So uh, it's it's just like it doesn't have that hook factor of a good pilot, you know. Like I like I wouldn't be invested in these characters if I'm just going with this issue number one. Yeah. Now should we move on to uh, our summary of the first volume? Yeah, go ahead. Spinning out of the events of Batwoman Elegy, Kate Kane is still reeling from the death of her long-lost sister turned villain, and the subsequent fallout with her father, Colonel Kane. As Batwoman, Kate continues her war on the supernatural threats in Gotham, while also training her cousin Betty, aka Flamebird, as a potential crime-fighting partner, and evading both Gotham PD and agents from the Department of Extranormal Operations, or DEO. This arc follows Batwoman as she investigates a series of child kidnappings and murders committed by an urban legend known as La Llorona, the Weeping Woman. After nearly drowning in a confrontation with this spirit, Kate pushes away her loved ones, including Flamebird. Detective Maggie Sawyer from the GCPD manages to get through to Kate as they develop a romantic relationship. But in the meantime, Betty is nearly killed when she tries to fight crime on her own, and DEO agents are able to trick her into revealing the Batwoman's identity while she's near death. Kate eventually manages to find La Llorona's weakness, and with her dying breath, the spirit reveals that an organization known as Medusa is behind her reanimation and the kidnappings. Kate is then confronted by Director Bones of the DEO, who makes a proposition that if she works for them in taking down Medusa, they won't prosecute Kate's father for assisting a vigilante. Though Kate accepts the offer, she's later visited by Batman, who warns that working for the DEO will eventually pit the two heroes against each other. All right. Uh, good summary. Uh, let's let's go to our first key point, uh, which we touched on earlier, that how this book does not really feel like it takes place in the New 52, at least at the first, first couple of um, issues. Yeah, I think a big problem with this is that Batwoman as a character and some of the events they allude to in these issues don't feel like they're part of this fresh start initiative of the DC universe. Like a big plot point throughout this volume is her being asked to join Batman incorporated, which is a big thing from other books that Batman's like establishing other Batman across the world. So other people have this kind of vigilante defender and like, that seems like a weird thing to start off with in a universe. So that seems like a very kind of year 20 <laughs> idea to introduce, not a year one idea. Yeah, and also, um, her sister comes up a lot, um, and, like, you know, her sister was a villain in Bat- Batwoman Eulogy, and, like, we don't really feel, feel that impact of seeing, like, her sister come back, like, even when, like, it's supposed to be, like, uh, haunting her or whatever when she's fighting uh, the villain. You don't really get that impact unless you read and, like, see how, like, Kate feels about, like, her sister dying, even though she was dead, came back, and she dies again. Doesn't really yeah, have that same and- impact. Yeah, just to fill in our listeners, because it might come up later in the episode, like, a basic events of Batwoman Elegy is that we find, like, Kate's fighting the supernatural threats in Gotham's, like, werebeasts and cultists. Her dad, who's a military colonel, helps outfit her with stuff. Uh, she finds out the villain of the arc is her long-lost twin sister, who she thought was dead when they were, like, as a child, but Kate was kidnapped along with her mother and twin sister, and she thought she was the only survivor. Turns out her twin sister was a villain that resembles Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and she apparently yeah. kills her sister in that volume. It's kind of a mystery, but uh, all the characters in this book believe that she's dead. It's uh, it's similar. Like if we have a uh, Thomas Wayne come back from the dead, but we don't really like 
know how Thomas Wayne died, you know? Like, it's not, we just feel this, like, Batman father come back without having, like, the impact of seeing um, how, like, that woman could have saved her or whatever. Like, we don't have any of the impact, so it's just, like, as a new reader, I'd be, like, really confused. Yeah, and it especially hurts because, like, her fights with her father are really impacted here because, like, the father knew that the sister was alive and out there somewhere and never mm-hmm. told Kate. Oh, so, like, yeah, that's that doesn't we just find out, like, her father, like, she doesn't want to talk to her father, but we really don't find out why in this book. Yeah, she does explain when, like, a flame bird is there and being like, why aren't you talking to your dad? And then the dad surprises and she's like, you want to know why I don't talk about my dad? Because the events of Batwoman Elegy on sales now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that felt that felt forced, and like Flamebird itself is like, I don't know nothing about this Flamebird because her, because uh, it's something that comes up in the uh, Zero issue, which is a little more understandable because, like I said before, this this book that issue Zero came up before like uh, New Fifty Two even started, so I can I can like I don't really care about the Teen Titan reference there, but like the Teen Titan reference in um issue one is like Teen Titans is doesn't have no legacy in this universe so flame bird like saying like a direct nod saying like i have fought deathstroke does not make sense at all and again to fill in those unfamiliar uh there is a teen titans book in the new 52 but that for the most part alludes that it's the first team or it's very vague about any kind of history so it just feels really out of place when this character is like oh yeah i was a teen titan i fought deathstroke and it's like, well, what's a Teen Titan in this world? Like, it seems like Tim Drake's forming yeah. the first team. So, yeah, I mean, it just—it's not an issue that like only for this book only, but it's—it's it's one of those things. Like, if you're doing this big, grand, wide relaunch of your books, you need to at least have like some continuity. Saying like, um, do a Teen Titans this exist at all? Yes or no? That's that simple. So like, and you know. Flamebird characters really evolve around like her being a Teen Titans member or her being a Nightwing fangirl that became a superhero. And like her whole plot line throughout it was uh, in the Batwoman elegy that she gave up the crime fighting just to come back. And that's a major like plot point throughout like why she a crime fighter and she doesn't have a heart for it. But we don't have we don't know anything about this character. Yeah. And I really would have liked to see a little more, especially because a lot of conflict comes up with the character uh, in in that she's allegedly inexperienced and not ready to be Batwoman's partner. Uh, It just feels weird when, like, she alludes to this long legacy as a Teen Titans superhero, but then she gets almost murdered by just a guy with a hook hand, or at least a guy who's, like, powers we don't know if he has them, but, like, you're a Teen Titan. Yeah, you're like Deathstroke. You can handle this. It doesn't make any sense. Like it is like a retcon nerf in the middle of this because like she'd been a superhero longer than Kate. Yeah, I mean she doesn't have military training, and from her origin, I could believe that Kate would be the better of the two. Uh, but oh yeah, you know, I'm just saying like overall like veteran like being a veteran a superhero like she's fighting like actual superpower. It just feels like. I'm not the biggest Flamebird fan, let's like let's say it here, but I feel like she she seems like a way less capable just for like the plot in this. And I understand it's not like a Flamebird or like Batwoman Flamebird like book on like the title, but like I feel like it's it's a lot of disrespect here to the character. And just for a character like we really don't understand. Cause like like the Robins, we at least know like a general idea of their backstory, but like I don't know. It, it, this feels like the most leftover part. I can understand like 
the rest of like Batwoman eulogy taking place, but I don't get Flame Bird. Does that make any sense? Uh, it, it definitely feels off, but like I can certainly understand the writers, like where the writers coming from here. Uh, yeah. just because they did set it up in the last volume. This is very much framed as a continuation of that. So it would Definitely. feel like a weird hanging plot thread, but you probably could have found some way to work this in later on in the series. But uh, it seems like a lot of this was written before the new 52 was announced. Yeah, this book is definitely a continuation. I mean, like it flows nice to you because it's the same art as on like both titles, you know? So it's just like nice flow. Yeah, and I mean, plus the probably, artist is also writing, so he's very fundamental yeah. in both volumes. It's just probably it, it, it's better if we're just talking the vacuum of like Batwoman books. It doesn't seem like a big problem. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking like New Fifty Two as a whole, it seems like a like a big continuity here. Now, as far as the character itself goes, uh, how do you like? I would say this depiction of Batwoman slash Kate Kane, but this kind of is the definitive version of the character. So yeah. Yeah, what do you think of her in the book? I, 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 I like her a lot. She, you know, when I was like reading this, I felt like, I felt like a lot of Daredevil vibe. Do you feel similar? He didn't pick up on uh, that thought never crossed my mind, but I can kind of see what you're getting at here, especially with her personality or personal life and stuff. She does kind of have that, like, successful loser vibe or like yeah, gonna, that's that's what i feel like that successful loser but like still fun you know well yeah she's very good at being a superhero but like all of her personal relationships are just a train wreck like the fact that any of these relationships work is because the other people are doing all the legwork and being very forgiving and you're right that is yeah. very reminiscent of daredevil yeah i, I really like kate because it doesn't feel like batman but a woman, you know, it feels like she has like separate enough personality. Her even her as Batwoman feels different than like Bruce's Batman, you know. Yeah, and that was one thing I liked about this Zero issue was it kind of pointed out some of the specific differences between the two. Uh, just in that, like she uses just like three fighting styles, and that it's different than the way he handles things. She can kind of invent things on her own. Uh, it's I don't not giga rich. Like, yeah. it was like a, like, it was a nice scene saying, like, I don't have Batman credit card, which <laughs> made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, and, and I also like that they established that she's dealing with parts of Gotham we've never really seen before. Uh, like I kind of mentioned up front, she's usually fighting, like, werebeasts and cultists and stuff, like, just this weird, genuine underground. They even say it in the book, like, Gotham's got an underground, and then they have the underground, the, the Hellions, or, like, yeah. all this magic stuff that you never see in Batman books that much, so... That's... That's why I, like... Because people say the Bat family's overcrowded. Do I agree? Not 100%. I do feel like it... Like... That's for like a lot of vigilantes in one city, but I feel like compared to like uh, I think it's like a, like uh other characters in the two that has a book that's in Gotham, Nightwing. We have that girl. We have uh, Red Hood. I think nah, not Red Hood, but Batwing. Like all these characters in Gotham, but I feel like Kate fights a different threat that makes her different between like the other characters because the other characters usually would just fight uh Batman like villains, you know. Like Nightwing is like fighting like quarter owls or Batgirls like fighting like uh some the Batman Joker. villain like like yeah it just feels like they're not feeling like a ni- a niche in the city that we can't just have not, just have Batman in but like Batman's yeah. not fighting like these magic or ritual monsters you know 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think they could have just as soon put this in a different fictional DC city, but uh, I, I like that by fitting it into Gotham, they at least found new ways to explore this, which really anyone writing a Bat family character should try and learn as much as they can from this book because it's a lot more fun when you're working with new villains and monsters that anything can happen with rather than Batman villains that you can't have any kind of finality because they've got to show up in Batman books later too. It's way better than uh, the Batgirl book that we're going to cover uh, in like three years from now where Batgirl's in Hipster Potter, Potter uh, she's in the Hipster part of Gotham basically in her Burnside run. Tifa Town part of Gotham. Yes. Now, one thing I I find weird about this character that I just kind of clicked with as I saw more of Kate Kane herself with around with around other people is what is the deal with her chalk white skin? I mean, like pale white eggshell white skin. Uh, like she just stands out like a china doll anytime she's in the room with other people. She just she just needs some sun, some vitamin D. Uh, but. It seems like it just works because it's comics. Because like yeah. it's like you're essentially this belief saying like someone can be like this darn pale and white and pasty. You know, it, it might be a little unrealistic, but I, I I think it works way better when she's in a costume than when she's out not in costume. Yeah, it's something that could only work in a comic book because, like, she is a different artistic style from everyone else. I mean, yeah. even when she's in the Batwoman costume, she looks painted and everyone else looks drawn. But I mean, we can we know that because, like, she doesn't look the same in season one, not season two, uh, in Batwoman when it's actually Kate. Like, she doesn't look the it doesn't have like the same uh, color balance, I guess. When you just have like normal Caucasian skin compared to having like this pale whitey, like it really make like the the black and redder costume like pop out, you know. And in previous comics, they make it seem like oh, the long red wig isn't another thing that differentiates her from Kate Kane. But like, if I'm the DEO agent in Gotham looking for <laughs> Batwoman, and I see the one pale lady with the Fifth Element level red hair, I'm going to be like, oh, I found her. There's no one else that could be. Like, Batman, any white guy can be under that mask, but I... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't if we're know doing, like, tier list of, of, like, bad identities, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think Kate is, like, high tier, you know? I mean, like, I think she's like she can get away with a little more than like some of the other DC characters. Like, come on now, like we got Clark Kent in this universe. Yeah, and I mean they even allude to that in the Zero issue. Like, ah, yeah, the simple disguises work best. Like Superman's glasses. Like, <laughs> I don't. Know, I, I, mean, I, like, I even even we take like the Bat family. Like, Nightwing is pretty much just Dick Grayson. Yeah, you're just a little, little different. Little you covered like five percent of your face, and no one knows who you are. Like, Red Hood's the only one I buy here that no one can figure out. <laughs> yeah, even Batgirl, like, has her hair flowing out of it. And even her own yeah, dad. Yeah, I understand, like, Kate, Kate really, like, has her pale skin, like, really just sticks out. Which, I don't know, it, it it's part of, like, the artistic charm. I can see, like, a bad colorist or, like, a bad artist not, like, making it seem right, but it feels, like, natural, at least in this book. Yeah. Now, I, one last important thing about the character that I thought this book did really well was uh, portraying her as a strong lesbian character without making that like her entire personality or anything, or just like going out of their way right off the bat. Like, I'm a lesbian. Like, no, they yeah. just kind of work it in really well. The relationships feel super real and likable. Uh, it 
it definitely does play into her backstory and what she's dealing with, but like, they're not making it a like, Oh, I'm a lesbian hero. And being a lesbian is constantly my problem in my alter ego's life. Yeah. It's really good representation too, for especially at the time. Like, like this book came in like 2011. That is like peak. That's like, that's like the, the passing of a torch to from um best friend, black guy characters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, passing the torch, to like the, the gay friend. That's like the, that's like the torch passing right there. So like, it's really nice to see a character, of a minority group uh, being representative, not by like her sexuality, but like her character, like she can just be gay without being gay, her character. Yeah. And I, I really recommend everyone out there read Batwoman elegy uh, just because there are great moments there, especially in the follow-up like origin story and the tale of the trade or the later issues where we see that like, she's not going to hide it. Like when she gets kicked out of the military, your commanding officer even says something like, I mean, we could pass this off as just playing around and you know, this might be a slap on the wrist. You might get a little demoted, but you'll be fine. She's like, no, no, I'm not going to lie. My parents instilled this that like, I should not be a liar. So like it kind of opens, comes out and gets kicked out. Yeah. Under Don't ask, don't tell. That, like, um... I, Love that. This podcast become like the the plugging of a uh, Batman Batwoman elegy, but that that part <laughs> of the book, the yeah. second half of Batwoman elegy, was really like the part that really grabbed me to like Kate Kane as a character. Like the Alice stuff and like the monster stuff was all right, but like seeing her origin stories and like how she uh, really stuck by side. What she's not a liar. That's what she says a lot. So that that really like made me gravitate towards like Kate Kane. Yeah, and. It- it was so cool seeing a vigilante's origin story be so different than everyone else that especially is a human uh, superhero, uh, because we do see her go through the motions of like, okay, I lost my purpose in life. Uh, I'm, I'm rich, or at least I have my mom, my mother-in-law's money. So uh, stepmom's money. Yeah. And she just kind of lives it up as a party socialite and like ruins a bunch of relationships like that. So it's like if Bruce Wayne became some, like Justin Bieber party boy for a few years before realizing he needed to be Batman. Uh, like Kate Kane has like a nice twist onto like the Bruce Wayne character. I, I feel like it's like really a foil to like Bruce in the sense of how like they play with like the Batman origin, but like make it different enough. You know? Cause like we see her, like we have two family member dies, uh, but like she's a little older as well. And it was a twin, which like, that's like your other half dying right there. And, um, we see her training and like she's rich she's like rich but she's not like a gig uh a bajillionaire like bruce and like it's she's like a leech <laughs> she's she's the leech basically yeah. like, it's not like she owns the company like she's leeching off her stepmother that really disapproves of her so that was pretty fun yeah she has access to all these resources like money and otherwise but it's all through other people like her dad builds her, her base and gets her her first like set of gadgets suit home base and stuff uh rather than just being able to buy anything she can imagine yeah that's she feels a lot more grounded than batman because she does she's it's like he's like she doesn't go i mean she does go to a trip across like the world whatever but it's like two years we don't really get to see that but like she mostly like focused on like her military training and you know she was like a star uh she was like one of the best soldiers or whatever but like she um it's a lot more believable that she can do this especially as like a whole support team Compared to like mm-hmm. Batman, like learning every single martial art and every being like a uh, master scientist, chemist, like all that. Like Kate is just 
he knows military stuff. So I think we could wax poetic about Kate all night, but as far as the rest of the supporting cast goes, with like Maggie Sawyer or Flamebird or even the DEO agents after her, uh, was, were there any characters that really stood out to you that you wanted to touch on here? Uh, not really. They're all they're all written well, but it doesn't. They, none of them have a full completed arc except Flamebird, which I kind of feel bad for because she doesn't really do a lot, and she doesn't really have a lot of character, like a lot of development or characterization after. Um, she mostly just dares as like just having stakes for like Batwoman, you know, like as a plot device, then being her own character. Yeah, like uh, this book did a good job making me like the main supporting cast, but not enough to feel like I have a good grasp on them. Like Maggie Sawyer seems really cool, especially as like the romantic interest, just in that she's an overworked detective who like can relate to Batwoman without knowing that Kate Kane is Batwoman. Yeah. Uh, and Agent Chase from the DEO, I think, has a lot of potential. Like, I think it's cool to see this like X Files style organization within Gotham, and seeing how far she'll go to like do her job. Like, uh, basically dressing up as a doctor to get Flamebird to tell her, like, who do we need to call because you're on death's door and we don't want you to die alone. And then just abandons Flamebird, like, ah, drop her off at Gotham General, and like, yeah, <laughs> very just dump her there, just dump her at Gotham General. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's just I, I I do enjoy. I'm not saying I don't enjoy the characters. I'm saying like we just don't have a, like enough of the characters yet. But what I what what is there I like. So very excited for volume two to see more of these people. Yeah, especially <laughs> Detective Chase. But yeah, mm-hmm. since I mean, with the exception of uh, Colonel Kane, Kate's dad, who shows up a bit, and I guess Batman as well we have like a whole cast of women in this book. Which one? That's great. This is maybe the first comic we've had that passes the Bechdel test or at least passes it this well (laughs) but I I will say the characters in this like there is a lot of at least PG-13 or like soft R sexual content in this book with these characters and I kind of wanted to raise the question if you felt like this book was uh if it was over sexualizing like especially Kate Maggie and Flamebird or if it was like kind of a respect uh, respectful level of sexualization I feel like it was a respectful level of sexualization. And I mean, I'm a dude. So like, take it with a grain of salt. I don't know what's respect, like completely respectful or not. The only thing I felt like um, I was a little not tasteful was like, we kept seeing flame burn her underwear. And mm-hmm. I mean, she's not underage or anything, but it's just like, what idea was this? Like, did the, did he, did like, who wrote it down? Like the draw, keep seeing these scenes with her. Cause he's like, just to cut it out. It was like three, like three too many. Yeah, yeah, it, it did seem really weird and just like, I hate to get into this, but like the style of underwear very much like showed off her butt and stuff. That, that seemed weird, but one of the scenes that made me feel like a lot of this was respectful came in issue four where we get this very artistic black and white sex scene between Maggie and Kate that's happening like as an overlay over flame bird fighting the hook handed man and losing. And there's like a lot of double meaning or like something said in that fight kind of applies to what's happening romantically. Uh, but it's not like showing a lot of the characters bodies, but it also is makes it very clear what is happening and what acts are happening. And I mean, I'm a cis white guy. I'm married to a woman. I'm mostly straight. So I don't feel like I'm the authority on this, but like, it felt like a very tasteful sex scene, like what I'd see in some French artistic film that's getting Oscars. Like yeah. it, I don't know. It, it seemed really well. And I sent screenshots of it to my friend who happens to be a lesbian and loves J.H. Williams' other big book, Promethea, with Alan Moore. 
and like they were kind of agreeing like that's a really good sex scene for especially for a dc book like both the violence of that fight and the graphicness of that sex scene i can't believe was in a mainstream dc comic it's you know it you know batwoman is is in the like the niche that niche comic where it doesn't have too many eyes like if this batman you know we would have had like a whole bunch of articles about having like batman batman having like a sex scene you know I really got like black label vibes. Um, black label being like DC uh, publication for like more adult oriented books. I got a lot of like see Batman's penis. Yeah, like that, that, yeah, that's... I got a lot of those vibes from here because the book felt like again like early indie. It doesn't really feel like a mainline like book. Yeah, you're right. This uh, between the art style and the graphic content, the violence, uh, and just the subject matter. I mean, having lesbian main characters, all this rings very familiar and, um, to an indie book. 2011. I'm like, that yeah, didn't like, happen. That was, yeah. Pretty sure this was pro-lesbian before Barack Obama was. Like, this is really ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it kind of fails on that, not by the writers, but we're touched about that a little later in a couple later episodes of this. It doesn't go all the way, but, like, it's, it's a nice start. Yeah, and if the writers had their way, I think it would have gotten even better. But, yeah, we'll save that for the future. But, yeah, there. this is, like, one of the main things I love about the book. And I think we've spoken mostly positive about this because, yeah, I did really enjoy this reading experience. But there are mm-hmm. some weird things. Like, there are some areas this book definitely falls short uh, or just feels a little off compared to mainstream comics. Uh, I'd say the main one is just the weird, abrupt endings in this book. Uh, and just weird pacing in general. Like, issue two just all of a sudden ends like Batwoman's investigating uh, an area that LaLorna, uh, LaLorona is supposed to be around, and she falls in the water, and that's it. Like, it's just a single panel at the bottom of the page. She's like, oh, whoop! And you're supposed to think she's getting pulled underwater, but that's the end of the book. You have no context for what's happening there, and it just feels very sudden. You know, what I think this is, is like... Because we keep saying like how it was indie, and you know, I don't, I don't know what she would like. Any comics I read, they don't really have that uh, stereotypical like last page ending, you know, like that last page reveal that make you want to read another issue. Like a lot of indies don't have that. That usually like sticks to like mainline books from like Marvel and DC. I, I think part of this could also be from the art style a bit, just like. Uh, because it has so many prevalent two-page spreads, I think that affects like just traditional comic storytelling. So just yes, because um, like fit. like the classic like comic story like comic writing is that you you must have like a cliffhanger at the end like every issue, just so like you know grab people attention to read like the next issue. And I don't really feel like this book has it. Like it flows a lot better in a trade than like the normal like issues. Mm-hmm. Which like it's a it's a it's a just because like it's a tactic just to only really like support like when you're like buying like month to month. And I, I think maybe part of the problem is that they try to last minute adjust to those standards because like while page space wise they have the same amount as every book, but when over half of your pages are two page spreads, uh, that functionally does not lead to the same level of pacing. So say like the very last issue we see that Batman confronts Batwoman like, hey, we're going to be put at odds if you take this DEO deal. And then immediately after that, she's with the family of some of the kidnapped kids. And she's like, I will find your kids. Just there's an immediate jump. There's no transition. And I think that happens when you only functionally have 14 pages of content. You just can't work in those yeah. transitions without some extra plot devices. or writing Because like, 
if it's like really getting paced for like the standard comic, you know, like those two events would have been like switched around. So like we have this oh, last page reveal of Batman saying where you might have to collide heads in the future, you know. But like it ends the same like that woman saying like I will try to get the kids like it ends like on a happy note so like this cliffhanger note. Yeah, and I think if you swapped them around even as printed, it might still work and work better at that. I just would have liked. I would have liked if they just took more of a moment with that Batwoman Batman confrontation since I th- I'm willing to guess that that's going to be a big plot point as this book progresses. Yeah, I'm wondering too cuz like Batman is like you know it's, it's the most tasteful man cameos I I've seen in like recent times with Batman cuz he, he he it's Batman City so he's around but it's not like Batman is like taking over the book. Yeah, and one of the other I would call it a flaw with this book is um, I just didn't feel like the villain had that much to do here. Like she's definitely the threat, but like they're working with this established urban legend idea. Like La Llorona has a conjuring film dedicated to her. Uh, But yeah, we just kind of get a little backstory to who she was, like our kids drowned. She was at to blame and committed suicide and is now ghost. But like, Oh, we we don't see that much of what she can do, what makes her that much of a threat, and uh, she just seems underdeveloped as a villain. She feels like an afterthought. Like, she doesn't feel like... She feels like the mini-boss in, like, the story is compared to, like, being, like, the main villain, even though she's, like, the thing that set up, like, the whole plot of the whole book. Like, that's that's what we see in um issue one. Start issue one is her. So it's so weird... She doesn't really have any focus, and like she doesn't really have a big connection to Kate, you know. Other than like, like her powers cause like her to see like uh Alice, but like those two have no connection at all. And like Kate trying to save the kids. Yeah, and I think I'd hate to keep harping on the pacing. I think the pacing could be a big problem here is that you just can't dedicate as much space to developing this villain. Uh, but yeah, like you said, there's no tie to Kate. And she's just kind of gone. Like, I think they're dedicating so much time to Kate and her conflicts and her being pursued, her ruining her relationships, that they just, yeah, treated the villain as an afterthought and kind of squeezed her yeah. into which, the problem she was dealing with this week. Which that stuff is, like, way more interesting. I mean, I got to admit, that stuff was more interesting than, like, the villain, but that might probably True. be a part of, like, the, her. they're not developing the villain because the villain doesn't even do anything directly affect Kate. Like, it doesn't affect in Kate Light. I'm not saying, like, have to have like freaking every f- villain have like a big connection with the hero but like, you got to make it feel more weight than like even like some batman or spider-man stories like we have like a villain attacking the supporting cast and we see that but it's just not the ghost it's not it's just not her you know she's just not and, affecting anything and like i i think one of the things that really made me realize that the villain was just weak and underused was everything with the final issue and the final fight between the two like it starts with Kate just meditating about her problem and she just comes up with the character's weakness. And like, it's like a trippier version of that independence day train of thought with Jeff Goldblum, where like, you know, he takes off the glass, like I'll catch a cold, a cold, a virus. We could give the aliens a virus. And like, she does that here. She's like, wait, she's water, water, steam, steam, hot fire. The water ghost weakness is fire, which like one Kate, you've never played Pokemon. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> just that there was no like detective work there to realize like oh it's a water ghost and fire will work on that she just kind of comes to the conclusion by thinking it out real good it's like they had a plot line but they like maybe in the development of writing the story like when they were like writing like issue two and beyond like they realized like 
we didn't want to give this the main focus. We have other stuff to write about. Like you still have to resolve that plot line. So it just seemed like they got it out the way. So you can go back to like the stuff they were really interested in doing. And like kind of worse yet in the fight scene though, is like we get this big character moment where like, okay, one, it sort of steals from Labyrinth where like she's getting guilted about her dead sister and she blames herself. And then she's like, wait a minute. No, that's not my fault. You have no power over me. I was like, I feel like there should have been a few good character moments through this book where like someone assures her that like, there's nothing you could have done. This isn't your fault. Uh, just to make that character moment feel more earned rather than just like spur of the moment willpower. Cause like Alice doesn't really have a part outside of like, like, I don't think she really thinks about like other than being sad, the, um, other than being sad and like erect other characters. Like she doesn't really have, like she doesn't really have a, like really think about Alice outside of like fighting fighting the villain yeah and the imagery with that gets really weird too like she keeps kind of turning into Alice and like seeming to I did like that part yeah artistically I did like that that part because they're twin yeah yeah artistically that works it's just that's probably hurt that's probably the biggest flaw if you haven't read the previous Batman comics like I would be so thrown off if I didn't get a chance to read that or who the hell is this clown who the hell is this clown she the Joker now? Is she gonna fight the Joker? It's just the it's just the, the Joker woman? Like what is this? Now uh any other final thoughts uh before we move on to our rating? Uh no, I think that's about it. Yeah. Actually, one thing I did want to touch on is how did you feel about the uh the incorporation of Batman Incorporated in this book? Uh and just like Alice's uh like basically addressing whether or not she would join Batman Incorporated, like being a running plot line here. The only reason I think it just doesn't feel too forced in it because it does set up the Batman, the Batman and like Kate relationship a little bit, saying like how Batman do trust her and whatever. And it doesn't get too much focus, so it, it's nice to have that part. Like we see Batman trust her and whatever, and want her be her be part of the team. And then like the last issue, we see him like butting head, so like it it means a little more. It's like Batman like really trusted uh, Kate, but like she's doing something he doesn't approve of. It like doesn't have like the major impact because Batman isn't that big of a role in this book because we don't really care about like the Caden like Bruce relation like the Caden Bruce relationship. Yeah, I, I like that it's addressed here just so like it doesn't feel like Batman's a sexist when she doesn't show up in Batman Incorporated, and I think it does make kind of an interesting dynamic that like Kate has to pick the DEO over Batman, like she has to turn down the Batman Incorporated offer to take on the DEO. So yeah, I think that's actually going to play out pretty interestingly in the yeah. upcoming volumes. It, it just works because our our like us as the audience know Batman. If it was like a random character, like it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Like replace Batman with like like a knockoff Batman, it wouldn't like care. If this was like an indie and like it was knockoff Batman, we wouldn't care. But like we know that's Bruce. We have like our own history with Bruce, so like we we understand a little more. So yeah, kind of keep points finished here and final thoughts done. Uh, if you were to give this book a rating scale of one to ten where would this one fall for you uh i i can't give it any higher than the eight but i have like two scores because i think this book is an eight if you have read the previous batwoman work not even like all the batwoman work if you just write batwoman elegy uh this book is like an eight it's like a nice continuation like the middle like the second arc of that storyline but if you just read this alone this has to be like a four <laughs> no it has to be like a five a five i'll give it a five because like this artwork is really nice like it would like none of the impact of the story would really make sense if you haven't have no investment in Kate already. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting qualifier I hadn't thought of. Uh, I, I myself was kind of going to come around down to an eight, 
um comparing it to other books like what we've seen and just like flawed but passable books like say supergirl uh the flaws in this would probably lower it to a seven but like it's really mostly jh williams's work and a lot of the cool stuff with uh kate and really just respectful treatment of so many female characters and a lesbian relationship in a book made by two guys that like i gotta give this an eight like the things it does well really elevate it to make up for some of the fundamental flaws in the book that otherwise would lower the score a lot more. But yeah, like you said, if I'm taking this, like if I hadn't read Batwoman elegy, I'd probably be giving this a much lower score. Yeah. Just because like, if it was like a middle chapter, like a middle volume in like a already going like series. Mm. So like, if like if if we just picked up a random volume of freaking, um, like if like we picked up captain Adam volume two, just read from there like it, you wouldn't really know what's going on at all yeah it's definitely a good point there and i think that kind of answers our follow-up question of whether or not we'd recommend this version and we've already spent several minutes of this podcast talking like guys go read batwoman elegy read this afterwards for sure i'd say like keep reading you'll like this after batwoman elegy yeah, yeah, uh, yeah maybe definitely. not as good but uh worthy follow-up yeah it's a it's volume two of that if that was like if it wasn't for like new 52 it's way better now if we're just like if because it's like 2021 10 years after the book release that you can literally just go from batman elegy and then go to this like a peter ever like you know what's doing like if but if you're like 2011 and like you're you want to check out batwoman you'd be like really confused and i mean thank god that they decided to take that route because i'm so glad that i didn't that there weren't just two origin stories for Batwoman back to back within like a three year period. Like, oh, definitely. in the long term, this was definitely. absolutely the right choice. Because like I had that I had a problem because I'm a Blue Beetle fan and I really like uh, Jaime Ruiz's first run that happened in 2006, and then you go to a New 52 run, which was another origin story. Even though we just got the origin story of the character five years ago. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that's a book we got coming up, and yeah, that one's going to be a painful one, but. We'll save that for the future. Yeah. So now, just saying, like, I kind I get it. If a new character just existed, and like, you don't want to just rewrite everything again a year later. Now, bring our episode to a close here. Uh, touching on our question of the week, little Batwoman history for you. In a lot of depictions of this character, we find out that Kate Kane is actually uh, something of a cousin or a distant cousin to Bruce Wayne. So our question it's, of the week. Uh, she is the uh, cousin from Martha, uh, Martha's side. The family. Oh, okay, so cousin on the Mar- She's on Mar- Martha. Martha uh, brother is a colonel. Why did you say that name? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but yeah, and Nate, how do you feel about uh, whether or not they take that depiction? Because it's not hinted at here at all. But do you I feel think like the only time improved? it's hinted, and it's like a really slight hint, is an issue zero, and it says it like her fighting or like having a hole in her heart is like runs in the family. And that's all we get. Mm. So like it's really easy to myth, but like I think it was set up. But it wasn't that that's not at all in like pre fifty two. Like I don't know, like they were later on I was thinking of it, it was like late reaction, but I, I I'm not the biggest fan of having them be related it feels like a little unnecessary. Yeah, to me it kind of feels like the Skywalker problem in Star Wars, like why is every important person in this universe part of this family? So yeah, the question of whether or not she should be Bruce's cousin, like doesn't hurt a lot, but I think it's better if she isn't, honestly. It's not like she was expired in an origin story by her cousin, Bruce being Batman. It's not like she knows they're related. Yeah. And honestly, I don't get why they keep feeling this need. Like they kind of did the same thing with uh Supergirl, like making her Superman's cousin. 
and maybe you could make the argument that it's a way so like these characters don't date but like Batwoman has been a lesbian from day one so that's not a problem you have to sidestep so yeah yeah you know the thing about like a supergirl or like being like related to like like superman like she's like a like superman's like a mentor to her at least so it's like a little or like that woman and like batman like can like them being cousins really don't really change anything in their relationship like it's not like it's, it's just kind of weird that we have two non-superpower beings that both <laughs> decided that they want to take over have like family members die and then <laughs> decide to dress up as bad people <laughs> like that's kind of that's like kind of like a coincidence too big of a coincidence right there it was like regular people they're like something like a miles morales like uncle died i mean yeah i kind of get it but like it's just too too similar from the be like uh literally cousins so yeah, it'd be like if miles was peter's nephew in spider-man comics. and then his and then his uncle died <laughs> oh you know what actually i'd be here for that <laughs> that is kind of ultimate spider-man <laughs> to some extent but yeah uh i think though that brings our episode to an end here uh we'd like to thank you once again for giving our podcast a chance and we want to give a special shout out to lady grayson for designing our logo as always you can find her as at lady g underscore nightwing on twitter if you have a question of the week you'd like to hear featured on the show you can send it to us on social media we're on facebook is comically confused and on twitter is at new 52 podcast and finally if you could leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice you'd really be helping us out We hope you enjoyed the episode and will join us again next week where we'll continue our Batwoman coverage. Until then, we'll still be here, comically confused.